We are dead not only because of our sin nature inherited from Adam, but we are dead because of our own accumulated individual sins. We are twice dead. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Apart from Christ, do you have any ability to impact your spiritual journey? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom brings you part three of his series titled, This Is Your Life. You know, throughout our series in Ephesians chapter two, we're exploring the great biblical truths regarding your spiritual life. You've discovered that without Christ, you cannot enter God's kingdom. You cannot embrace the truth. You cannot please God. But today, Tom will examine how even salvation itself must be a work of God from beginning to end. Without Him, you're spiritually bankrupt. But if that's true, how can you respond to God? Let's find out as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. A couple of weeks ago, I came across a very interesting story, the story of a man named Jeremy Bentham. Jeremy Bentham was an English philosopher. In fact, you may remember from your school days that he was the father of utilitarianism. His famous statement was, the greatest happiness of the greatest number is the foundation of morals and legislation. It's a bankrupt philosophy, but nonetheless, the one he was famous for and that has permeated much of Western civilization. When Jeremy Bentham died, he willed his entire estate to the college hospital in London. But he did so with one very strange condition. The condition was, you can have all of my money, all of my estate, if you will preserve my body and bring it to all of the hospital board meetings in the future. And the college hospital agreed. So Bentham chose a man that he knew, a Dr. Southward Smith. After his death, he was chosen to prepare his corpse. Smith followed Bentham's instructions. He prepared the body. He affixed to the top of the body a wax likeness of Bentham's head. Then he dressed the body in a suit and hat. According to Smith, the man who did all of this, the whole was then enclosed in a mahogany case with folding glass doors. He was seated in his armchair and holding in his hand his favorite walking stick with his actual skull resting at his feet. For the next 92 years, Jeremy Bentham never missed a board meeting. (laughs) The board would assemble, and there at the end of the table was Jeremy. They treated his remains as if he were alive, but in fact, he was long dead. When I thought about that story, I thought about how God describes every human being. God says that is exactly what every human being without Christ is like. We are physically alive, our hearts beat, our brains function, we have families, we have jobs, we have careers, we eat and we sleep and we play and we go to meetings. But without Christ, we are the walking dead. There's to be any hope for us 
God must miraculously intervene and give us life. And that is the message of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let me read this text for you again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. The first three chapters of this wonderful letter of Paul to the church there in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, the first three chapters are teaching our doctrine about what God has already done for us in Christ. And chapter 2 continues our education in that that began in chapter 1. And specifically, here in this first paragraph I've just read for you of chapter 2, Paul explains how we as individuals came to enjoy the incredible blessings of chapter 1 that we studied together. How could we as sinful human beings come to be in such an enviable place of blessing? You have here in the verses I've just read for you what amounts to the spiritual biography of every Christian. And the key point that Paul wants us to get here is that God alone is responsible for our privileged position. We can reduce the powerful, life-changing message of this paragraph to one simple sentence, and it's this. Salvation is entirely the work of God from beginning to end. Paul lays out here this dramatic change, and he teaches us about this dramatic change in three simple parts or stages. You can see them clearly. You probably saw them even as I read the text. He begins with what we were in verses 1 through 3. What we were. In verses 4 through 6, he explains what God did. And in verses 7 through 10, he tells us why God did it. So what we were, what God did, and why God did it. We find ourselves discussing the first of those, what we were. In the first three verses, Paul reminds us of what we used to be. You see, you cannot fully appreciate what God has done for you if you don't first understand what you were before he found you, before he intervened. I'm convinced the reason many Christians aren't as grateful for what God has done is because they don't understand the pit from which they were digged. They don't understand 
what God has truly done for them. And so Paul sets out to explain to us what we were, and his explanation of the way we were before Christ includes several elements. He tells us what our true condition was, and you were dead. He tells us the root cause, not only the true condition, but the root cause in trespasses and sins. Beginning in chapter 2, or excuse me, in verse 2 and through most of verse 3, he tells us the practical results of our condition. And then at the end of verse 3, he tells us God's perspective about our condition. Last time, we examined our true condition or nature before Christ in those four words that begin verse 1, and you were dead. That was our true condition. Paul is describing what theologians call total depravity. We were, in reference to God, completely dead. We saw that Scripture lays out a series of categorical negatives that describe that spiritual deadness. We looked at those last time. Apart from Christ, we have no ability to act contrary to that deadness, contrary to our nature. We have no ability to enter God's kingdom. We have no ability to embrace the truth. We have no ability to obey God. We have no ability to please God. We have no ability to even come to Christ for salvation. We are dead to God. So the reality of spiritual death demands that salvation be a sovereign act of God. Salvation must be a work of God from beginning to end because if we have anything to do with it, we will still be lost because we are dead. So when we consider what we were before Christ, our true condition was spiritual death. I want us to start our study this morning by looking at the second part of Paul's explanation of what we were before Christ. We've seen our true condition. Let's look at the root cause of that condition. Verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, in the Greek text, there is no preposition in that the translators have included here. Instead, it simply reads like this, and you being dead, and then it's immediately followed by the words, your trespasses and sins. The reason for that is, in Greek, there are case endings. Those of you who've studied other languages, you know that there are some languages that are inflected. There's an ending added to to words, and that ending tells you how the word is used in the sentence. A certain ending tells you that the noun is the subject to the sentence. Another ending would identify the same word in the same place in the sentence as the direct object. So it all depends on the ending. The case ending of the two nouns, trespasses and sins, leaves us with two possibilities of what Paul meant to say here. Let me explain them to you. The translators of the New American Standard have chosen one of those possibilities, and that is location. We were dead in, or in the sphere of, or in the realm of trespasses and sins. And that is possibly what Paul means. But there's a second possibility, and they've given us that possibility in the margin. If you have a New American Standard that has marginal references, you'll notice next to verse 1, it says that it can also be by reason of. This is the other possibility, and I believe because of other clear statements of Scripture, which I'll show you in a moment, this is the right explanation. We were dead by reason of 
or by means of our trespasses and sins. This is the consistent message of Scripture. If you go all the way back to the very beginning, turn to Deuteron- or excuse me, to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, verse 17. God is talking to Adam. And it says in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. He says, if you sin, if you violate my word, then as a result of that, because of that, by reason of that, you will die. Now in in that case, and really throughout the Scripture, when the Scripture speaks of our dying as a result of sin, it's speaking of three realities. It's speaking of, of spiritual death, which in Adam's case was immediate. The moment he sinned, he died spiritually with reference to God. Here's a man who walked with Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, and the moment he sins, he hides himself and wants nothing to do with God. He died with reference to God the moment he ate that fruit. So it includes spiritual death, but it also includes spiritual, physical death. The day would come when Adam would die physically. By God's grace, it was not immediate, but it would come. And if Adam had not repented, and I believe he did repent, I believe we will meet Adam and Eve in heaven, but if he had not repented, then ultimately he would have experienced what the book of Revelation describes as the second death, our eternal death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That is what follows sin. Sin is followed by death in all of its forms. This is consistently true throughout Scripture. I'm not going to take you to every reference, even that I have here in my notes, but turn to Ezekiel 18. You see it again here. In Ezekiel's time, the children of Israel had a proverb that they really liked. The proverb was, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the children are paying for and being punished for the sins of the fathers. God said, don't say that. It's not true. Verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Sin is followed by death. Again, in all of its forms. In Romans chapter 6, passage you're very familiar with, perhaps have even memorized, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What you get paid for sin, what you earn by sinning is death. Spiritual death and physical death and ultimately eternal death. That's what the scriptures teach. But perhaps nowhere more clearly than back one chapter in Romans chapter 5. Turn there with me for a moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world. So you had sin. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because in Adam, as our representative, all sinned. Verse 15. But the free gift, that's the grace of Christ, is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, the many died. He's using 
an understatement there. He's using a figure of speech. He means everybody died. We all died. Here's the point. Because of sin, particularly here, Adam's sin, we were born spiritually dead. Sin is the root cause of our spiritual death. Now turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Because here we learn that we were twice dead. Romans 5 says that we're dead by nature because of or by reason of Adam's sin as our representative. Here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, we learn that we are dead as well by reason of our own trespasses and sins. Look at verse 1. And you were dead by reason of your trespasses and sins. Your makes it very personal. Your means that the sin that makes us dead is our individual sin, our personal sin. Paul is saying that what lies back of our spiritual death is our own sin and our own trespass. Now, what does he mean here by trespass and sin? Well, we ran into this word trespass in chapter 1, and we defined it there basically as a deviation from the path of truth and righteousness. A trespass is a deviation off the path of righteousness. The truth is, we have never been on the path of righteousness. Our whole life is a deviation from the path of righteousness. What is the path of righteousness? You remember how Jesus defined it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. In other words, I am to love God with my entire being every moment of my life. And the second, he said, is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love the people around you like you love yourself. Well, I don't know about you. I do know about you, but I know even better about me. I have never one time in my life been on that path. There isn't a second of my life I have loved God like I'm supposed to love God. There isn't a second of my life I have loved others as I'm supposed to love them. My whole life is a deviation. That's why Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, what? To his own way. I'm not on God's way. I've never even tried to be. I'm on my own. In, in myself. Sin means our inclinations, our thoughts, our words and actions that fall short of accomplishing what we were created to be and to do, and that is to bring glory to God. So a trespass is a deviation from the path, a conscious and deliberate false step against a holy and righteous God, and sin is failing to measure up to what we were made to be and to do, and that is to bring glory to God. Notice that both of these words are plural, trespasses and sins, that means we're talking about a series and succession of individual sinful actions. We are dead not only because of our sin nature inherited from Adam, but we are dead because of our own accumulated individual sins. We are twice dead. This fall, we had some friends come to visit us from out of state. They came from Florida and you know how it is when people come to visit you here in Texas. They want to experience all things Texas. So we have kind of tour plan A, and we took them down to the stockyards, and we did the stuff that, you know, you're supposed to do and various other places here in the Metroplex. And 
one of the things they wanted to do was go horseback riding. And so we said, all right, we'll arrange that. And so we arranged to go to one of the local horse ranches here in the area. And we really had a great time. It was a wonderful experience. And while we were there, we saw an authentic Texas sign. I mean, a sign like you would only see in Texas. The sign there on the ranch said, trespassers will be shot. (laughs) And survivors will be shot again. When I thought of that sign, I thought, you know, that's really a good description of how it is spiritually with every one of us. We are twice dead. We are doomed because we're born spiritually dead because of Adam's sin, and we are spiritually dead as well because of our own sins and trespasses. That is the root cause of our condition. So our true condition, spiritually dead. The root cause, sin. Adam's sin as our representative and our own sins. Now that brings us to the practical results of our condition. The practical results of our condition, we see this in verse 2 and most of verse 3. Look at verse 2. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Our condition, spiritual deadness. The cause, our trespasses and sins. And the practical result is described in these verses I've just read for you. Notice, as I pointed out to you last week, the repetition of the word formerly. You see it at the beginning of verse 2. You see it again at the beginning of verse 3. By formerly, Paul means before our conversion, before our salvation, before, as verse 5 says, God made us alive. So what you have here is a description of all of those who have not come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ or the past of those who have. Now, the words in which you see there at the beginning of verse 2, those words refer back to the phrase trespasses and sins at the end of verse 1. We were dead because of trespasses and sins and... We used to walk in trespasses and sins. We used to walk in them. Now, for those of you who are biblically literate, you know that this is a familiar biblical metaphor, this idea of walking. It's a very familiar, very common biblical metaphor for lifestyle, conduct. In fact, here in uh, Ephesians, Paul uses it eight times to describe our lifestyle, our conduct, our behavior, Look down in verse 10, you see it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Our behavior, our conduct, our lifestyle would be commensurate with what God decided would be true. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, This Is Your Life. Tom will have part four for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, though salvation is not of our own power, what is our responsibility in our spiritual journey once we are saved? We rightly love to really relish the truth that we have been saved by God's grace. And by God's grace alone, we've come to know Him. 
But you know, the the end of this passage in Ephesians 2.10 gives us that relationship between the, the salvation that's ours in God's grace and our responsibility. Paul writes, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Uh, that's something that we couldn't do that only God can do. But he says that we are created for good works. And then he adds this, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's our responsibility. We have been prepared for those good works, created unto them. God empowers them in us. What we're really talking about is the difference between salvation and sanctification. We are saved by grace alone, but we are sanctified as God the Holy Spirit works in us and through us and empowers our obedience and as we live out the changes that God has produced in us. Thanks, Tom. Church leadership can often seem like hazardous duty. Leaders can have both mountaintop experiences and seasons of discouragement. How can you, as a leader of Christ's church, faithfully respond to the different perspectives on leadership and the trials and triumphs of ministry? In Tom Pennington's book, Faithful Stewards, Tom identifies three key perspectives on church leadership that can help you maintain spiritual stability in ministry. Purchase your copy of Faithful Stewards today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. 